Today is, uh, is going to be a little interesting. We've got a lot to do today. Um, We've got a big, big ending to this service, so brace yourself. If it's going bad at any point, just think, okay, he said it's going to end big, so um, you can hang in there. But this is not necessarily tied with the sermon series. This is kind of in between. We're going to start a new sermon series next week, um, kind of coming out of the Dwell Conference. We're excited about it. But um, this was like a freebie Sunday for me as a preacher um, and I don't know, I just, from the, from, as soon as this gap was opened, I knew exactly what the Lord wanted me to teach on, um, wanted us to focus on, and, uh, and I've been kind of spending, you know, the last couple of weeks there in that space, and I'm going to invite us all into that space, um, and the space is, is joy, J-O-Y, joy. It's a very simple, simple word and concept, but it is deep, deep waters that honestly we're going to be unpacking for the rest of eternity. In his presence is fullness of joy, the Bible says. Uh, the joy of the Lord is our strength, the Bible says. Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, because I know you're not going to believe me or you're not going to actually listen to me, rejoice. It's a command in the Lord. It's something that we are supposed to practice on the days we feel it and even sometimes when we don't. And so we're going to kind of enter that space today um, in the word and in thought, but we're going to enter that space a little bit more than that. Um, there will be dancing. Yeah, there will be other things as well. Um, so um, just brace yourself, prep yourself right now, because we're going there. We are going there. So this uh, year, we've been, we've been thinking about the whole calendar year as a church. What do we want to lead our church into? What do we want to grow in? What are we feeling like the Spirit is saying? And uh, we've kind of put this banner over the year, strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We need to learn how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Um, that's something that we're going to be working on. We're going to be practicing. We're going to be figuring out this year. And uh, like all our sermon series and a lot of the activities we do and our fam nights in the fall, all of it are kind of kind of go under this banner of how we strengthen ourselves in the Lord. And, and the reason for that is, is this. We're, we've had prophecies about how the shaking of 2020 and 2021 um, are going to lead to the breaking of 2022. And the truth is, I know some of you have already experienced that, and we're only one month in. People are realizing the stimulus money, the secular humanistic philosophies, their own strength, and their own adrenaline are not giving them what they need to cope with the disruptions, the divisions, and the divorcing that is happening in their own souls, let alone the rest of their lives. And it's a tough situation. Tim Keller, who is a pastor and who is... who. I think he retired. It was a pastor in New York City. Um, he commented one time about what he saw happen in the two years in New York City following um, September 11th, 2001, with the terrorist attacks. He said the first response of the Christians was heroic. It was a beautiful thing to see. But as he continued to pastor, he watched many Christians collapse who did not know how, and this is the way he phrased it, they didn't know how to tend to their inner life. They didn't know how to strengthen themselves in the Lord. They did not know how to strengthen themselves in the Lord, and so they experienced what Edmund Friedman calls failure of nerve, failure of hearts, and in some cases, Tim Keller saw people actually fall away from their faith. And that was all in that two-year span. About two years out is when he saw all of this start to go. It just so happens to be that's where we are as a city, let alone a world, um, two years out from the beginning of the pandemic. So we've spent two years in this disruption. All the wild and varied reactions of our increasingly post-Christian society have left us fatigued. Our society, just like every society before us, does not have what it takes 
to live, thrive, and survive in our own strength. So we as a church are going to spend this year trying to figure out how to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. Yeah, I got some amens without asking. I love it. Um, We want to learn how to tend to our inner life. We want to figure out what that means as far as practicing the way of Jesus, what that that means for us. And we want this year to be a year where we increase our buoyancy and resilience as disciples and followers of Christ. I love the word buoyancy. I've been thinking about it all, all, all year, and, I'm, and it's just going to be there for me. I just keep picturing, like, somebody who's got, like, 10 life jackets on, and you just, you just pull them down and let them, let them go. Boop, they, <laughs> you pull them down. Boop. I would have really used that well when I was the younger of, of three brothers in our swimming pool. I could have used the more buoyancy in my life instead of more drowned rat kind of look. Um, but that buoyancy, that's something that God can cultivate in our lives. And as we face new challenges, Jesus said, in this world, you'll have tribulation. And so whatever we've been through, it is true that there, as the Lord gives us more years, there will be tough times. There will be hard times. And so how do we live with resilience and buoyancy as followers of Christ? Um, And we want this year to be a bounce back year for us from all of the disruption and the depression. And when I use the word depression, I I know that there's a clinical reality to that. And and I'm, I'm... I'm not necessarily talking only about that, but, but what I'm talking about is, is the actual concept of depression. Um, think of a Coke bottle, all right, or Sprite, if you like that better. Um, but but it, all the fizz inside that bottle has caused the cap to be convex, right? Um, it's, it's kind of popped up. But then once you open that and all the fizz comes out, um, then the carbonation comes out, then, then the top of the, bo- the cap becomes concave. <laughs> Watch out, science lesson here. First service, I didn't know the words. They actually told me the words, so I was doing a lot of this, and then someone was like, concave. I was like, that's it? That's the one I've been looking for? Um, so convex um, to concave, and, and, and the reality is of when we got hit with the pandemic and then all the craziness of the reactions and all of the, the disruption and dysfunction maybe in our own families and lives, we, we, we all, if we're being honest, we got depressed, Maybe not clinically, or maybe, maybe clinically, but we all just got hit with this weight. We've been carrying this weight that has caused our souls to be depressed. And so how do we figure out in the Lord how to, how to bounce back? How do we get, the, get to the place where Jesus is the lifter of our heads, where the joy of the Lord is our strength? So that's what we're gonna be diving into um, really for the whole year, um, and then in particular today. So um, with that being said, we are trying to be a church that has not lost its fizz. Amen. Jesus said, if the salt loses its saltiness, what is it good for? And my wife would say, if a Coke loses its fizz, what is it good for? Now I'm the weird kid that the Coke could be in the fridge for two days, open, and I'll still drink it, thinking it's okay. She makes fun of me. I have no taste buds, all of that type of stuff. But she's like, if once that thing is open, you drink it then, or you don't drink it at all, because she loves the fizz. Um, and, and the truth is, is that we don't want to be the kind of Christians and followers of Jesus that have no fizz. I think the world's kind of sick and tired of hearing Christians say, oh, it's so good to be a Christian. And they're like, so where's the fizz? And there's no joy. There's no fizz. There's no life. When, when you look at the life of Jesus, that is not the way he lived. In fact, the, the religious leaders were mad at him all the time because he, they called him a wine-bibber and a glutton because he was at all the parties. He was celebrating all the time. He, was, he loved to eat. He loved to drink and all those things. He's not getting drunk. You know, we don't want to go down there. The Bible's very clear on all that stuff. But he loved to celebrate the goodness of God and rejoice. 
In fact, in Hebrews, the writer says that Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness above all his fellows. He walked around with fizz. He was fizzing all over the place. And it says that the common people wanted to be around him. People gathered around him not because he was just some, you know, heavy, you know, stoic teacher, but because he spoke about life. And when they looked at him, they really believed that he knew the way to life because of all the fizz. So I want to see our church fizzy by the end of the year, maybe even before then. Um, so we're going to start with Nehemiah chapter 8. Um, where we get a little lesson from the Old Testament. The Old Testament, we love the Old Testament. It's a great picture book of how God interacted with his people. We're so thankful that we have the New Testament and the life of Jesus to help us interpret the Old Testament correctly. Um, but we're gonna go there, Nehemiah chapter eight, um, and we're gonna pick up in verse um, nine. But I gotta give us a little bit of uh, background before we get in. So the people of God have literally gone through 70 years of captivity. And actually, by Nehemiah's time, you can add maybe another 10 years or so of captivity in a foreign land. So it's a, that's a lifetime for the people that were there young. And for the people that were born there, they don't even know what it was like to be in Jerusalem, be in Israel, their homeland. But through some miraculous events, the leader and the king of that day said that all of the Israelites could go back to Israel and rebuild the temple, rebuild their worship of, of Yahweh, their God, and rebuild um, Jerusalem. And so Zechariah brought some people, Ezra brought some people, and Nehemiah was kind of like a third wave of people that were returning to Jerusalem, um, and their main goal was to kind of you know, resettle, but also to rebuild the walls around Jerusalem so it had more security. And so in that process, some of the building had already been built, the foundation had already been laid, the temple in some ways was functioning, and so they did kind of a consecration time where they called all the people together that were there. And, and, and they knew that this was, a, this was an interesting day because they were coming together to kind of restart the worship of Yahweh and get in line with God's ways. And so what they did is they built Ezra this like super high wooden pulpit thing. And Ezra and the priests would go up there and they just started reading the Torah, the first five books of the Bible. They just started reading what was written down in the law of Moses. They were just reading it out and the people were listening to it and an amazing thing happened. As they were reading this, the people's response was they fell on their faces and started to weep because they realized how far away they had gotten. They realized how they didn't know God's ways at all. And maybe, if you've read the Torah, they were like, dang, man, that sounds hard. <laughs> and there was a heaviness, there was a challenge that was causing them to weep, almost as if they were saying, we're never gonna get there. And as they looked at Jerusalem and the ruined walls around them, they were weeping, saying, we're never going to be what we could have been, what we used to be. And there was a heaviness that set in to those people. And in Nehemiah, who was, who was the governor at the time, he does something interesting. In verse 9, it says, Then Nehemiah the governor, Ezra the priest and the scribe, and the Levites who were instructing the people said to them all, This day is sacred to the Lord your God. Do not mourn or weep. For all the people had been weeping as they listened to the words of the law. Nehemiah said, go and enjoy choice food and sweet drinks and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is sacred to our Lord. Do not grieve for the joy of the Lord is your strength. The Levites calmed all the people saying, be still. 
for this is a sacred day, and do not grieve. Then all the people went away to eat and drink, to send portions of food and, and to celebrate with great joy, because now they understood the words that had been no, made known to them. And if you skip down um, to verse 17, that kind of sums it up. He says, the whole company that had returned from, the, from exile, they built booths, they celebrated the Feast of Booths, and lived in them from the days of Joshua, son of Nun, until that day. The Israelites had not celebrated it like this, and their joy was very great. So Nehemiah somehow, as a man of God, begins to understand that this moment of weeping and sorrow is not correct. It's not the right response. It's not the way that they should be responding to the Torah and the reading of the law and the commands of God. Yet that's what was happening. Now, how he knew all of that, I don't know. I don't quite understand. I do know that the situation around him, it makes sense why the people would feel this heaviness. But somehow Nehemiah caught that God was saying these commands not to, not to burden people or to push people away, but he was saying these commands so that people could f know their way in. That this was a roadmap God was laying for them so that they could begin to experience the fullness of life. And that when the commands of God come, they should be sweet. They should be wonderful that we can know the mind and heart of God. And that the promise of God always comes with that he's not going to leave us on our own. But he's actually going to do this work within us where then the commands become something that we walk in by his influence in our life not through striving. And so Nehemiah caught all of this and he was like, look, this is not right. We don't respond to the word of the Lord. We don't respond to the law of the Lord with heaviness. We respond with joy that we get to hear God's word, that we can even know God. And so he told the people, you need to stop weeping. <laughs> now, if you know Nehemiah from, from the book, it, it's kind of funny because, well, I don't know if it's funny. It's, we're so far away from it that it's funny, but it wouldn't have been that funny. Enough. Because Ezra the priest when he saw the people not doing what God wanted them to do, at one point he ripped out his beard in lament and cried out to the Lord. And Nehemiah, when he saw the people earlier not doing what the Lord wanted them to do, he ripped out their beards. So this is Nehemiah. Like the guy is a little bit more serious than other people, a little more intense than other people, but he caught wind of what was needing to happen right now. And he told the people, you stop that mourning and grieving. And people were probably like, He had a little influence with the people at that point. And he told them that you need to go home, you need to get some choice food. It's not McDonald's. This is choice food. And you need to get some sweet drinks. And you need to make sure that if you know someone who doesn't have anything prepared, let's say, that you, that you make, make some space for them and give them some stuff. But he, he said, and you need to celebrate and you need to rejoice that you can hear the word of the Lord. And so this is what he commanded the people. And so the people, it's funny, it says the Levites had to calm them down. It was like this big kind of switch, like how do we get from this heaviness to this place where we're now going to celebrate? And at Nehemiah's command, they, they entered into that space. And by the end of that time, at the end of that seven days, the Feast of Weeks, it says they celebrated like they had never celebrated before. And there was great joy. Their sorrow had turned to dancing. Their mourning had turned to rejoicing by putting into practice what the Lord was commanding them to do. And the joy of the Lord, it is a command. And this phrase that he sums it up with, I honestly think we're going to be, I mean, I've been trying to unpack my whole life. I think for the rest of eternity, we're going to be trying to un unpack what it means that the joy of the Lord is our strength. 
Because it's not our joy, it's not our circumstantial joy, it's not something we muster, it's the joy of the Lord. That is what gives us strength in the day of opposition. Just like Jesus had said, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Joy is what we need. Joy is the way that we find ourselves strong in the Lord. We've gotta find access to that joy. So that's what we're gonna talk about today. Um, but first, before we do, I wanna, I wanna look at these, this phrase. The joy of the Lord is your strength. So what brings the Lord joy? How does God get joyful? Do we have something in the scriptures that can help us understand what makes God joyful? And, uh, and so I have, I have six things. And you might be able to come up with some other ones, but real quick, I'll go through these. So the first one is, is, is joy is not something that God gets or that, that God um, kind of increases or decreases in because Galatians 6 tells us that joy is a fruit of the Spirit. So there's just a reality to God that, that, that he is joyful. So any joy we experience is actually, it's actually coming from the source of joy, which is God. God is the fountain. He is the source. He is the reality of joy. And if they're having trouble grasping that, think about the sun. So the, the sun um, is, is far away, but then we can be outside and we can be feeling the warmth of the sun on our face or on our back. And it's a little creepy, but the reality is, is that we're not feeling something that the sun is sending to us. It's not like the sun's like, oh, that person looks a little cold. Let's throw them some sun. Oh, that person looks a little Irish. Watch me red him up. <laughs> or like, it's not that the sun is sending. The sun just being the sun is constantly emanating. And so when we actually feel warmth, we're actually feeling the sun. Again, that's why it's a little creepy because it's like, whoa, that's some powerful stuff. But the same is true that when we experience joy at any moment at any time of our lives, from little babies that have those moments of joy all the way through, we are actually experiencing the presence of God. Not something that he is sending or something that he's kind of grabbed from somewhere else and sending to us. We're actually, we're actually bathing, we're actually experiencing the very presence and substance and eminence of his spirit, the fruit of his spirit. So God isn't, God, I mean, it's not that God is you know, looking for someone to make him joyful, he is joyful. But we also know that there are things that, that do bring him delight and joy. Uh, number two, creation. Genesis 1, you know the story there. Every day God would create something and then he would kind of stand back and he would look at it. Be like, man, that's good. That's good right there. And then on the sixth day when he created humanity, he didn't just say it was good. He said, man, that's real good. And so God has delight in his creation. Last night my wife um, and my dog we're having a little time together. Um, right there on the floor, we have an old dog, 11 years old, just fluffy as can be, it's starting to shed like crazy. And uh, I don't know what got into my wife, but she just got on the floor with him and he was just like, oh, you know, like doing all this stuff and trying to act like he could still play and like bite, but he's just like, ah, and she was just like, la, 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 and then she was speaking in a weird voice and stuff, but, oh, you gotta do, you know, that type of stuff. Um, and, uh, and I just, I mean, it was just a picture, like this is, when God looks at his creation, it just delights him. He just thinks it's, it's awesome what's been created. And for us, it'd be good for us to look at creation and, and, and find joy there instead of always be down on everything. Next thing, number three, unity. So Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. 
Um, John 17 reiterates this. Jesus basically was saying the whole reason he came was so that he and his father could once again be one and that um, we could be invited into that oneness, that unity. Unity is something that delights the Lord. Psalm 103 says, there he commands a blessing. When the Lord sees the unity of the brotherhood, he, it just, he can't help it. He's like, bam, he's just got to give a blessing in that regard. And so the unity is so good. So kids, stop fighting your siblings all the time. Kids, when you get in the back seat, try unity one time. Just one time. Try some unity in that back seat, you know? Just kidding. Kids, you can do whatever you want. Um, but the Lord just so delights in unity. Um, number four, his people. So Zephaniah 3.17 has this verse that's just so cool, and I want this last phrase to just stick with you. Um, Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love, he will no longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. The Lord rejoices over you with singing. And uh, I don't know if you've ever had that experience in your life where someone was just so happy with you, they're just singing over you. Um, all of us have had people not sing nice things over us <laughs> at different times. But the Lord, when he sees you, he rejoices. He sings over you. And this is a fascinating thing. This is really good news. And some of you need to hear this today. No matter what you've done, no matter where you're at, the very first and the strongest feeling and sentiment that God has for you is joy. He delights in you above everything else. Yeah, you can make him mad. We see that in the scriptures. We can grieve the Holy Spirit, no doubt about it. But that is never the strongest sentiment and feeling. The first and strongest feeling that God has every time he lays eyes on you, every time you cry out to him, is absolute joy. Even on your ugliest, worst, sinful day, that was the strongest thing he felt towards you. The Bible's very clear on that. He rejoices over you with singing. I was at a memorial yesterday, and one of the, the people that was, was sharing was talking about how, you know, they and their father had a, a tough relationship, and it was the father's memorial, and, and, and they were estranged, basically, you know, the whole adult life. And then at the end, um, there was kind of a, a, a comeback, which was really fascinating, and it was... It was hard for her heart to even receive it all, but the dad did kind of come back into their lives and then ultimately even gave his life to the Lord at the very end, which was, which was fascinating and, and, and caused a lot of rejoicing. But she was describing how um, she just, you know, her dad never remembered her birthday. And she just, that was just something for her heart that was just, it was just a hard thing. So even when the dad came back into her life, you know, there was this tiny little bit of her that thought, maybe he'll remember my birthday now, and he didn't, you know, year after year. Um, and then she t described this one moment where um, she answered the phone, and her, it was her dad, you know, who's pretty old now, and he sang happy birthday to her. And it was just kind of, you know, she was describing how intense that moment was of, of, of receiving that, of, of, of having someone sing over her in that regard. And again, that's just such a small fraction as to what the Lord is singing over you every day of your life. Your best days, your worst days, um, you bring him so much joy. Uh, number five, the prodigal's returning. We know Jesus told us the story about the father and how much joy he has when, when the prodigals, those who had gone astray, come home. He's like, get the ring, get the robe, kill the fatted calf, let's get some food on the table, we're gonna party tonight. Um, and he was so 
joyful and so intense about the joy that it was making the brother mad, right? He's like, why are you getting so crazy? And he's like, because it's exciting. Um, they had to have a conversation and all that. But, but uh, the joy that, that, that Jesus was describing there, and he sums it up at the end of that chapter when he says um, that the angels rejoice over one sinner rep repenting. The angels in heaven throw a party every time a sinner comes, repents and comes back to the Lord. Um, so some of you, you could, you could make a party in heaven today. Um, but that's what brings him joy. And then the last thing we know, Jesus, Matthew 3, 17, Jesus was baptized and, it, and a voice actually comes out of the clouds and says, this is my son in whom I am pleased, in whom I delight. And so there's something about the joy between the father and son and the spirit, that trinity. There is just absolute 100% joy. And Jesus prayed in John 17 that you and I would be able to join in to that. And that's why it says, in his presence, there's fullness of joy. And joy is what we're after. Um, so how does this translate to strength for us? If we get how God's so joyful and all of that, so how does it translate to strength for us? Well, first of all, if God is joyful, maybe we should not drain our strength by, by worrying so much. Or being bummed out so much. Um, God's joyful, so think about that. Um, if God is joyful, maybe we should celebrate and dance a little more. When's the last time you put on some music and were in your kitchen and you just got after it? You just started throwing limbs around and bobbing and weaving, whatever it is. When's the last time you just totally let loose and rejoiced and went joyful and didn't care what anybody thought and didn't care about anything else? You just rejoiced. Your kids, you see them do it all the time. But what about you? When's the, time, when's the last time you got after the joy? Um, there's lots of different ways to do that besides just dancing. Some of us should never dance. Um, just kidding. No, we should, we should all dance a little bit maybe. Just be careful. Um, and then the last thing, if God is joyful, maybe we, we need to spend more time with him because the joy that he gives is not, it's, it's something that, that only comes from him. It's a supernatural joy. It's not the stuff of earth. It's not something we can muster on our own. It only comes from being in his presence, from accessing him. It's a manifestation or an impartation. Um, and so we need to spend time with him. That's ultimately the goal. And I'm just gonna tell you a story, and this story could, uh, it could encourage you or it could, I don't know, I guess it could discourage you too. Um, but I'm just going to tell you, you know, hopefully this is an encouragement of, of a time where joy showed up in my life in a real unique, supernatural way. And uh, obviously it doesn't have to happen this way, and this was just a one-time deal in my life. But um, when I was 18 years old, I was in the school of ministry with me and 18 other guys, and we all lived in this house together, and we were trying to learn about God, learn about the Bible, and I was learning to weld. Um, and uh, yeah. It's weird how that fits in there, but it was cool. And, uh, and we went away on this, this, this kind of like weekend retreat where for two nights and three days, we were silent. We weren't allowed to talk to each other, communicate at all. Um, and that was interesting. Um, and then at the end of that, after we created all that kind of silence and space, um, they had people that came in and, and would pray for us. And in some ways, they were just kind of you know, saying, God, you can do whatever you want, but we're trying to create through a spiritual practice, we're trying to create a little space for you. 
We don't want to hear from anyone else. We don't even want to say anything. We just want to be in this space of quiet and receptivity to hear what your spirit might give. And so that, that's what we did, and, you know, and that, that's biblical. Um, and we were kind of looking for some of those 1 Corinthians 12 gifts. Um, and, and I remember I, I was getting prayed for, and you know, they shared a couple you know, words of wisdom or knowledge that, that um, actually one of them is, has tracked with me for most of my life. Um, but I just remember afterwards like starting to walk away and other people were getting prayed for and it was kind of like a you know, quiet space. Um, and as I was walking away, I, I didn't realize that I, 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 was, I had been filled with joy. Um, until I started to try and walk. And, and like my feet, it was just kind of weird. And it was, this was nothing crazy or I wasn't like totally out of control or out of my mind. It was literally, as I was walking, it was just like my feet were like too springy. They were just like, they were like, you know, not walking normal. And then like every muscle in my body just was like trying to fire at the same time. Um, and not in a painful way or whatever, but just like, it was just, I, I realized after just a few minutes that, like, this was, this was joy. This was the joy of the Lord. This was something different and more powerful than I had experienced. And, and the reason I knew that was because I was walking out and I was trying so hard to not be a distraction as everybody was, like, doing their thing. And I was, but I was just like, no, get out of the room. This is so embarrassing. This is so weird. And so I got outside, and then I, you know, I could walk a little bit. And my, it was just, again, it was just funny the way I was walking. And I went to my room because, again, this wasn't, I wasn't trying to do any, like, display. I was trying to figure out what was going on. Um, and I got in my room, and it was just like I just felt this like wave after wave of just joy, just absolute joy um, kind of washing over me. And, uh, and again, it probably lasted, you know, 10, 15 minutes or something, and then went away, and then I was just praying like, what was that? What's going on? And still today, I don't, I don't know exactly. Um, but uh, as I was thinking back about all these things, I started to put some pieces together maybe. And... Uh, you know, that was when I was 18 years old. And, uh, you know, shortly after that, um, my life had, was going through some changes. And then by, by the time I was 20, my dad had taken his life um, in, a, in, a, in a long battle with depression and bipolar. And, um, and that was a real heavy, heavy thing for me. And then, you know, seven years later, my mom died of cancer. And uh, this was all, I was pretty new in the, in the Lord going into this, um, at least, you know, seriously following the Lord. And, and I don't know, I mean, again, we were just asking the Lord to give us what he thinks we need. And, um, and I've wondered about, you know, my dad, you know, had these battles, is, are these battles that I'm gonna face? And uh, kind of had that question. I've had some people, t you know, like rebuke me when I say things like that, but just kind of being honest with myself, wondering. And, and yet I've never had any kind of, um, any struggle there at all. And, and in my mind, I'm kind of just thinking, well, maybe the Lord was giving me some joy um, so that it could be my strength as I was going into these valleys and these challenges. And, uh, and he's a good father and he knows what we need. And I know some of you, man, you, you're more depressed than, than just a bottle cap without some fizz. Um, and, and so what I really am trying to encourage myself, encourage us, is, is just how to find that space, how to enter into the presence of the Lord, to know that that's the only place we're gonna find what we need for life and godliness. That's the only place we're gonna find what we need for the day of opposition and the day of battle and the day of challenge and the day of tribulation. Um, and it's always there. 
And it doesn't always show up in some supernatural manifestation where you walk like a weirdo. I hope it does, um, or maybe even better than that. Um, but there's both the gift that the Lord gives and then there's the practice that we're commanded to do. Paul said, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He said it twice because he knew how bad we were gonna be at it, living in the heavy world. And, uh, and so that's a practice I'm wanting us to kind of unpack and begin to grow into, learning how to rejoice, learning how to be filled with the joy of the Lord as we go through life.